I do want to. Uh, You know, I don't have a problem with the fact that Tom Foster's excited. Come on, Tom. <laughs> uh, I do want to basically mirror what uh, Jacqueline said as far as each and every one of you being here. This is super exciting. Uh, I know it, it, it can create, it probably has created some challenges. There are implications getting here. Uh, obviously, working through situations with kids and the whole bit. But I personally believe this is going to really help us grow closer as a family. God's going to be able to utilize us even in a greater way in 2012. So just really, really excited about what this represents for us tonight. No, she's not. Extended fellowship. Being that we're talking about schedule two, there's one other thing that uh, was brought to my attention by a few people, so I figured we'll go ahead and throw it out there now, being that we are discussing it. Um, from a standpoint of scheduling, wanted to kind of get a feel for what the group thinks as far as the start time. Uh, from what I understand in the past, you guys did a 7 to 8.30. Um, there's different ways of breaking it out. What I did is I put together little things for you guys to fill out. I don't know that we need to, though, based on the 7.30 start time. seemed like we're pretty much all here now. Any of you in favor of an earlier start time, like 7 o'clock? Guess we don't need those. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, I appreciate that. It seems like overall with the group, 730 is the better start time. And again, if you want to get here earlier, we'll make sure the building's open. You can do dinners together as families, as small groups, whatever works out best for you. I'm excited. I've got an app on my phone that actually works now, and I think it actually works better than the remotes we've been using. But they have this wonderful little keynote app. We have Wi-Fi here, so... I don't think I'm going to be have to ask the guys to click or, you know, do my behind the backs or whatever to try and get this thing going. So, anyways, we'll see how it works. Now I probably jinxed it. But uh, one of the things that, heading into uh, 2012, personally for me, this is a major deal. And hopefully it's something that we can all get behind in that why and what is it we're about what we're about. That wasn't God calling. <laughs> Who said that? The 50 push-ups. <laughs> I'll do them if you do them. <laughs> he was at the Iron Man. What can I tell you? Anyway, I think Rudy's about the only one that can give me a run for the money on that. But it, we'll, uh, we'll move on. But, you know, ultimately, we're about what we're about because of Jesus Christ. That's the thing that unifies us. That's why we're here. That's why we live changed lives. That's why we have something to extend to other people. Amen? And for me personally this year is a goal, and I hope, again, this is something we can all embrace, but this is the year by this time next year, every single one of us in here can claim that we are closer to Jesus Christ. That we're more in love with Jesus than we ever have been, and that the focus on Christ really leads to even greater changed lives here, but even more so beyond that, We'll all feel like we have something to offer other people. Amen? 
And we know Satan, we all, the bottom line is with that, we all have something incredible to offer other people. But we know that Satan can get in there, he can mess with our heads, he can mess with our marriages, he can mess with our kids. There's so many circumstantial things that go on out there that he knows how to press the buttons on that really shut us down and make us think that, you know, we really don't have anything worth offering others, which is Satan's lie. And I think as we grow closer to Christ, it, it is just going to be explosive, the impact that we have with those that yet need to hear the gospel, those who have maybe walked away from the good news, and, and the poor within our local communities with a lot of the different hope projects that we've got planned for the year. With that, first slide. It worked. Amen. John 1 verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You know what? I want to make sure again that we're looking to is a Jesus Christ that we really believe and we've seen in our own lives changes lives. My life. Your life. I mean, this really encompasses everything that we're about. That God was willing to come down in the flesh to model what it means to have a right relationship with God, but even taking it to a whole other extreme, and that He was willing to die for us, to usher us into a relationship with our Father in Heaven. You know, think about for a moment, what drew you to Jesus Christ? I know for me, the thing that really drew me to Him was at the age of 32, seeing what the real Jesus was all about. You know, as a man, obviously a sinful man, arrogant man, I mean, my, my wife can probably help me with a few more adjectives here if I needed them, especially during that period of time. But the Jesus I looked to was emaciated from what I had seen in the world. He was kind of a wimp. And in light of what was modeled by the religious leaders that I was aware of, it had absolutely a negative impact on me. I, I've shared this before. When Bruce Teague, the guy that reached out to me, introduced himself as an evangelist, my stomach turned. Because of my negative perception of what that word, I never thought that someday that would be a title to be attached to my name, needless to say. But to be able to see that Jesus was a real man, he was a man of conviction. The love that he had for his Father in Heaven, what that would enable him to do, what an incredible bond there was between the two of them. You know, I, the, the things that stand out to me are Jesus clearing the temple, man. I, I love the fact that he saw what was going on in his dad's house. And he thought about it and prayed about it and braided that cord and went in there and kicked some hindsight. Because he felt it was a mockery, the religion of the day. The way that he took on the religious leaders I'd never even heard about before. The guys with all the power, the guys with the money, the guys with the, the stature in the community. And he would go head to head and they would try to shame him. They would try to catch him. They would try to do anything they could to take him out. And Jesus always walked away as a man of integrity. A man that did not change his conviction, did not change his stance based on who was facing him, but took this incredible stand. And then seeing it modeled for me by other men really gave me hope where I had been hopeless for years. You know, hope for my marriage, hope for my relationship with my kids. And I'm just so grateful later this past year how much my relationship with my 26-year-old son and my 23-year-old daughter has changed and has grown, has gotten better. And, you know, and I go back a year ago and I, I would have been able to say the same thing then and maybe not so much the year before that, but there, there's generally been a progression. We've always been tight. We've always been close. But that's what Jesus did for my life. 
And I know each of you have your own story. That's what Jesus Christ has done for you personally. But, you know, sometimes we need a reminder. We need a refresher. Why? As people, we, us, me, you, we can get lost. We can get distracted. We can drift. We can stray. We can get carried away or we can just get plain lost. And that's why throughout the Bible you see over and over again, over again, remember, 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 remember. And I think it's great to start out the beginning of the year with those types of reminders as to who we are as a church, who we are as the body of Christ, what we represent, what we can do, and what we can accomplish for God. In Hebrews 13, verse 9, It reads, do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. You know, many of us were rooted in some of those strange teachings. Some of us, it was very challenging to realize that the God that we worship, the God that we loved, not that any of that wasn't sincere, but it was wrong based on things that we had taught, based on opinions, based on traditions, based on different things that we had in culture, whether it's praying Jesus into your heart. Once saved, always saved. You know, that there's no need for repentance. I mean, you look at what goes on in the world today when it comes to things like remorse, taking responsibility. You know, we see it in the courtroom all the time. People blaming their upbringing, their their childhood, their this, that, and the other as to why they shot somebody, why they killed somebody, why they stole from somebody, rather than just flat taking responsibility. And you know what? I'm sorry. I mean, how often do we see that word used today? Outside of the kingdom, not a whole lot. But really understanding that when it comes to Christ, we've got to be careful. We can let these other things slip on in. You know, saved by grace. Whatever is accepted by society is acceptable to God. Worldly wisdom versus Jesus' wisdom versus God' wisdom. You know, in the verse that precedes this, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, we looked at the Gospels, the New Testament Jesus. He expected people to believe. He expected people to follow. I mean, there are all kinds of imperatives with those things. Come follow me. Do as I say. Obey me. Look to what I am doing. Look to what I am modeling. Look at to... Look at the impact that this can have in others' lives. You know, a a, a man that was selfless, that came to serve, that was a healer, that met people where they were at, knew what the particular needs were that they had, and met those needs, and then opened up the door for the spiritual change in their lives. Jesus had expectations. There were standards that were established. We all know those standards. You know, this isn't a church where, you know, you come in, you feel good, and you just place membership. I mean, we, we take seriously what we're doing. What God's expectation is for us, but even so much more so, how fulfilling our lives can be now. Not just now, but it's awesome to know we can have fulfilling lives now, life and purpose now, right? But ultimately being able to spend eternity in heaven with God. If we live in accordance with what Jesus has established. Matthew 5, verse 20, says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
know, we can see right here in this passage, what is it that Jesus expects? Righteousness. And, you know, throughout Jesus' ministry, what was the contrast pretty much throughout his ministry? Jesus versus what? The religious leaders of the day. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, people who were calling men and women to a level of commitment that they themselves weren't willing to keep. The hypocrisy. That's something that really bothered Christ. That's something that bothers God. And with that, he used those examples as to how not to live. And then again, model for us personally the right way to please God. You know, I believe this passage applies to us today. As we know, Jesus is saying yesterday, today, and tomorrow, which is comforting, knowing that he's always there for us. But I believe the reason it applies to us today is Jesus knew in time we can become like them. We become like the Pharisees. I know if I'm not careful, it's easy to get comfortable. It's easy to lose sight of what I'm called to as a Christian. It's easy to lose sight of the position that God has blessed me with and take that for granted. You know, I mean, you can start buying into your own hype after a while. I mean, everybody comes and tells you what an awesome job you do. And, I mean, for me, coming into the kingdom, it was, it was something I needed, honestly. I had zero self-esteem. But I've got to make sure that because of the encouraging things that are said, I don't lose sight of who I really need to encourage and live for, which is God. You know, it's the same when we look at those expectations today. You look at the situation with Peter and Andrew being called to follow him. James and John being called to follow. It started with individuals. Come follow me. And they followed. And then it was something that Jesus took to the crowds. You know, if anyone would follow me, got to deny self. Got to carry your cross. Got to sell your possessions. And they followed. And by following him, he explained where it would lead. A fulfilling life today. Not that it doesn't come with its assorted challenges. We all experience them on a daily basis. I mean, there's a lot of interesting situations out there in the workplace. I would not want to head up an HR department today, man. I tell you that for a fact. But with that, there is that incredible fulfilling life today. And again, eternity with God in heaven. In Hebrews 4, verse 12, a passage we're all very familiar with, it says, For the word of God is alive and active. And I experienced that when I came into the kingdom. Before the Bible was this book that, you know, I mean, I, I read. I'm an avid reader. I was an avid reader before I became a Christian. But, you know, you don't understand what's going on. I mean, you know, it's kind of like the Ethiopian eunuch. Man, help me. I don't really get it here. Tighten it up for me. I remember bogging down in the likes of Leviticus and just saying, okay, well, where's the application? You know, and today it's interesting. Looking back, I mean, I can see... My, my roots, the denominational church that I was brought up in, the transition from Judaism to Christianity, a lot of the stuff that went on, I had a better understanding of. And even with that, uh, knowing that Jesus is the offering for me, I don't have to worry about my goats and my sheep and my pigeons and everything else under the sun and having that in front of me every time I blow it. Just knowing that I can repent and I can ask for forgiveness and that grace and that blood of Christ continues to allow me to be pure and blameless before God, which is so incredibly encouraging. And that's what the Word does. But it also exposes the areas that we can go to that aren't maybe quite so encouraging. The thing that's good about it, though, is we take personal responsibility for our relationship with God. We're able to get back on track if we remember what Jesus has done for us personally. So it goes on. It says, For the Word of God is, at, is alive and active, Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even a dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. 
Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of whom we must give an account. Matthew 12, verse 36. It says, but I tell you that people will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. You know, I think as an evangelist, I do have a responsibility in that I like to be encouraging. I love to have fun. For those that are, of you that are close to me, I, I'm, I enjoy life. But I think there's a responsibility I feel as well, and we've got to be able to feel comfortable going back and looking to some of those more challenging passages and understanding that it's good. It's there to protect us. It's there for a reason. We all need it. Why? Because I don't know about you guys. I've got my share of hills and valleys. I mean, there are, there are times where I'm doing awesome. As you kind of heard on Sunday, a lot of where I'm at right now is above average. I'm hoping to get a lot more of those categories into the excellent uh, area. And i got some areas that I'm just average in. And I, and I guarantee you, there have been times where it's been on that other end of the spectrum. There was a lot more stuff that was going on that was below average it wasn't pleasing to God that I am just glad I wasn't held accountable for at that point in time. But really understanding what's going on here. The Greek for account is logon, which is to lay forth, is to an account, to gather, count, enumerate, a financial setting, a gathering of information, balancing of the books, a gathering and adding up a result or sum. We, I'm sure we have a few accountants in the group here, right? Matt in the back. You do a lot of gathering, right? And there's a lot of things you have to do to get things resolved, right? Every once in a while, that balance sheet doesn't quite add up properly, right? And that's how it can be with us before God. But you know what? Jesus is the master CPA. He can help us get that bottom line looking awesome for God. You know, have you ever heard of an account that doesn't add up? Any of you guys ever experienced that? I remember early on in marriage for us, man, when those ATM cards first came out. You know, uh, go to the ATM, there's money, we're good. <laughs> you know, a couple months down the road, you're sitting down wondering why the heck you're getting all these NFC, NSFs. There was money in the account, babe. Well, needless to say, uh, wasn't going about gathering my information quite the right way. You know, you got to have those receipts, you got to sit down, you got to put them in your little register. Maybe shocked for a few of you here. The ATM thing doesn't really work. But, you know, and we, we've seen it with corporations. I mean, Enron, Bernie Madoff, Solyndra, accounts that didn't add up. You know, our personal checkbooks, again, that's another area. Well, it can be that, the same way before God. Our accounts can be in a position where they're not really balanced. They're not making a whole lot of sense. And that's why we've got Jesus in the flesh, as we saw earlier in John 1, Modeling it for us. Jesus is the word, logos, which means the sum of all, which is kind of interesting, looking at the whole thing with accounting and what Jesus represents. But there's a significance to what Christ has laid out in the, in the scriptures. And as we can see in that passage we just went through, and it, this isn't something that we've we got to get weirded out about. I mean, there are two words. They're contrasts. We went through the studies. Wasn't there this thing called light and darkness? And, you know, is there any way of skirt in the middle? You're in one place or the other. Now, as baptized disciples, it's awesome to know that, again, the thing that's key through grace is repentance. And the fact that it's nowhere near as challenging it was to get it back online 
as it was maybe coming into the kingdom. Some of you know some of the addictions you had coming in. Some of you know some of the sin that was going on. I look back at some of the things that were taking place in my life. I never thought I'd ever be able to get my mouth under control. And it's so amazing with the Holy Spirit, with that baptism and that understanding of what Christ did for me personally, how there's virtually nothing. I mean, that's the thing that's cool. There is nothing. And I buy into those scriptures wholeheartedly. There's nothing I can't overcome with Jesus Christ. So, you know, what are the two words? Condemnation or acquittal. And it's a matter of making sure that when our time comes up, we got the right balance sheet. And when that, you know, accounting judgment, it's within the same realm. We'll see that as we go into this a little bit further. But I want to make sure that I'm able to hear those words, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. And the only way I'm going to be able to accomplish that is with you, the people that are in my life. I just want to throw this out here for a minute. How many of you... And you, however you verbalize it, as far as terminology, how many of you have actually discipled me on something at some point in time? You've brought something to my attention. <laughs> there, there, there's a few of you. Some of you I'm not even involved in a direct discipling relationship with. But you know what? I'm grateful. I love you guys. I'd love to see more hands. That, that's not a lie. I would personally love to see, been able to see more hands go up. But you know what? As time goes on. I'm going to screw up on things. There will be more of you coming to talk to me about it. Next year at this time, my goal is to see more hands raised. I want to ask that question. Amen? But, you know, that's what it's about. This is what's so important about this fellowship. We're in it together. We're helping each other get to heaven. We're helping each other live a life of purpose. We're helping each other have impact. And that, that encourages me. Because if I were to do this on my own, or even with my, my wife, as incredible as she is, it wouldn't be a pretty picture. You know, I wish I could state something different, but I know emphatically, without a doubt, it wouldn't be a pretty picture. It's great to have other people come in with a perspective, this Jesus perspective through the scriptures, to help me get it back online when I'm out there in left field. Whoops, went too far. I think I missed a slide when I put this together. Oh, maybe not. No, actually, I got ahead of myself. I already handled I hit that. Okay, so there you go. I forgot I had a slide. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> okay. Back on track here. Uh, yeah, I, I guess that's what it is. I'm not used to this thing actually working. There we go. Luke 6. It says, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. You know, ultimately, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on the, the good tree or the bad tree. But I think the thing that's really important in this passage is what is going on in our hearts. It says the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And I know I can be on both ends of the spectrum. Sunday morning, you know, based on the overflow of my mouth, 
you know, Calvin discipling me, Jackie sharing with him where I was at, I wasn't really doing great. I mean, there were some areas where there were some expectations I had. Things didn't happen quite the way that I wanted them to. And, you know, it, one thing after another, man, we roll into the Starbucks drive-up window, and the person in front of me, it's the one on 190th, okay, there's a lane, and there's a speaker, and they, I'm waiting, and there's a car, and they roll up to the, the window, and I'm like, are you kidding me? And I wasn't really ticked off about them being in line in front of me, but I knew what that represented from a standpoint of time, because now the sequence is totally off, all the cars in between us are going to be messed up, based on the orders being placed, so the speaker comes on, I'm like, yeah, you know, the person at the window... There's a couple cars that came through before them. I know sequentially we're off, and I think I, I, I said something about them being a moron. So, out of the overflow of the heart. Obviously, based on this passage, my heart wasn't in a good place. I, it, it shouldn't have bothered me, but it did. And, you know, and again, like I said, there's hills and valleys. You know, I, I appreciate Calvin helping me out. I mean, he reeled me back in. He's super heartsy. Uh, I was able to throw all that stuff off, forget about all the other things that are going on, and I was able to get my head back in the game. I prayed and was able to preach. And, you know, and it, how many of us experienced that on Sunday mornings? <laughs> I'm telling you, man, I bump more on Sunday than I bump any other day of the week. What the heck is up with that? But this is the thing that's so important here is our hearts. We need to make sure we're taking care of our hearts. Getting our hearts back to Christ so that our hearts overflow with the right things. And you know, part of that overflow needs to be the story that we all have. We all have incredible stories that we can share with other people. We, and we need to, those things need to be there. And here's the thing. If you run into somebody that you know needs help based on maybe an interaction you see with them and their spouse out in public and you walk by, there's a heart problem. I mean, it's, it's simple. It doesn't mean you're a bad person, but there's a heart problem. And maybe you're not doing the greatest in your marriage, but you know what? The thing that always works for me, if I'm sitting with somebody else that's dealing with issues in a discipling appointment, the scriptures that I'm using to help them help me. If I'm studying the Bible with somebody that's looking to become a Christian, guess what? It's a refresher. It's a refresher course. It gets my heart back in the right place. And this is the thing that I really believe is my biggest issue, is keep my heart in the right place. There's so many things that can be a distraction. There's so many things that can key me off. I mean, I can be kind of tightly wound. And it doesn't take much sometimes. Thank God it's nowhere near as bad as it was. How many years have been Christian now? 21? You know, it's nowhere near as bad as it was 21 years ago. Thank God. For you guys. <laughs> well, there wouldn't be anybody sitting here, so let's just put it that way. <laughs> So, you know, what's the key to getting our hearts in the right place? We need to imitate Christ. Our words should be the words of Jesus, saying what Jesus says. If you're in a discipling appointment, you know, push the opinions to the side. What would Jesus say? And, you know, you know maybe it's, it's one of those kind of catchy things or whatever. But seriously, what would Jesus say? How would he handle the situation? Would he listen? Would he demonstrate empathy? Would he encourage? Would he try to help the individual see that they could do it? Jeez, would he maybe correct them on the sinful life they've been living? Would there maybe even be a rebuke in the mix? We know he can do it all. Again, logos, the word, Jesus, sum of all things. 
But that's what needs to govern us in our interactions first and foremost with each other. But how much more so with those that have yet to even hear the good news? Luke 2, or excuse me, Luke 24, verse 19. It's a, a sentence in, 19b. Who was Jesus? He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Now, last time I checked, what, what did we receive when we got baptized? Holy Spirit. What do we got reside within us? Who does that represent? Jesus, God. The good counselor. It's kind of interesting. The good counselor. When we sit down in appointments with people, what needs to be at the forefront of those times? The good counselor. Jesus Christ. Some of us maybe need to get, may need to get reacquainted with it. But the Scriptures work. That's why we're here. I mean, I'm really excited that if I remember correctly, we did not have one married couple leave the church this year. Now, one married couple left the church this year. Man, that's awesome. It doesn't mean we didn't have some individuals leave. But I, I think that's, that's, that's really, for me, I don't think I've ever experienced that. The entire time I, I've been in the in or out of the ministry, I don't think I've ever experienced that. I think it's, it's something to be said for the relationships here. And I'm grateful for this. I really feel like these relationships are moving forward. But, you know, there's still some areas where if you're not in a discipling relationship, don't point fingers. A lot of warm bodies in here. A lot of people that are alive that are willing to grab a coffee, that are willing to get involved, that would like to have some additional friendships. Now, I'd like to see us duplicate that next year. On the flip side of the coin, I think we can definitely be more effective when it comes to our outreach and the individuals that we're having an impact on. But what's the key here? Jesus was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. We have the ability to be that. All of us have the ability to be just that. And I know for me, that's what won me over. That's what brought, ushered me into the kingdom. Was seeing others that were actually living it. Others that were actually doing it. You know, Jesus is the standard. Jesus is the benchmark. As I said earlier, Jesus, Logos, the sum of all things. Jesus' word judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It's incredible how that can affect us and what that does for us in our lives. Next passage is in Romans 14, verse 11. It says, It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God, so then we will all give an account of ourselves to God. We will give an account for our words. We'll give an account for our lives. Each one of us is accountable, Logon, to God. But you know what, I think one of the things that we've got to be careful with, I think sometimes we worry too much about accountability to men and not accountability to God. Accountability to Jesus. I think if that's where our focus is, guys, you'll be amazed by what takes place in this church next year. You will totally be amazed by how God will work in this church next year. If our concern isn't about how we're, excuse me, this year, thank you. It won't be a matter of how feeling weird about how we're perceived by our peers. Because if we're living in accordance with what God's established, knowing that we're accountable to God, what goes on in here won't matter because it'll be awesome. 
But it's when we lose sight of that, when we lose sight of who is Lord and Master. That's when we start messing up. So I think we need to turn our hearts back to Christ again. And what does that mean? What are some of the things that, I'm thinking through this, how do we, well, I just want to open up for a minute. What are some of the things that you guys love personally? Let's see some hands. Let's see some hands. Rudy. Amen. That's awesome. So that's something tangible for you, right? What are some of the things you love about your wife? Not to put you under the gun. You've yet to invite me over for dinner, bro. I'm disappointed. Year and a half. I'm inviting myself. Just give us a date. No, I'm kidding. Amen. And, and you see, relatively simple. But it's heartfelt. He loves her. Don't we all have something in our lives like that where we can look to the reasons? And this is what helps me grow my love for Christ. When I'm down at the ocean, I love the ocean. I love listening to the waves. I love the smell of the salt air. I love watching the dolphins. I love watching the surfers. I love fishing. I mean, there's so many different aspects of that. And it's like, you know what? I love those things because God made those things for me. And I think we all have things that we can look to that God has done for us personally that we love. I love my wife. I love my daughter. I love my son. And then you can, you can break that down to all the little specifics within each of those situations. And you know what it always comes back to for me? is God. So you can't tell me, unless you're totally hard-hearted and you don't love anything right now, you're just a hater. <laughs> and if you are, you need to repent. But we all have, I guarantee you, every single person here has something they can look to that they love. Maybe it's NFL football. Maybe it's college ball. I mean, now we're kind of, you know, we're digging down into the barrel a little bit deeper to find something. But I guarantee you, everybody can walk out of here with something they love. And you can translate that into and transition into a love for God. I think acknowledging this, embracing this, it sets us up for victories. I'm glad I'm accountable. Not because I'm accountable, but because God lays out what I'm accountable for. I mean, you know, I'd be kind of, a, kind of jacked up. If we're held accountable and we didn't know. But we got the means of knowing exactly what it is to get dialed in so that balance sheet measures up properly before God. So when it comes to us going through the transforming steps, this is kind of the setup for all that. The purpose of the transforming steps, number one, is solidify. Hebrews 6, verse 1. And I know some of you may be seeing this before. Hang on, I've got a fourth one that I added to the three that we all are pretty familiar with through the years. But Hebrews 6, verse 1 reads, Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, and of a faith in God, instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. I think this group, if we're unified in what we believe, we will be unstoppable. And I think through the years, there, there's some gray areas that, you know, I've had some interesting studies with members of the congregation where there's been some gray areas as to what we believe, what it takes to be a Christian, how to stay faithful as a Christian, how to love each other, how to get resolved with situations and issues when they come up. So I think first and foremost, it's important for us to solidify our belief system, which is the Bible, 
Ultimately, what that means is getting back into it. Amen. Next thing that we need to do is we need to be unified. Unified. John 13, 34, 35. And guys, I really believe with all my heart there's been a major transition in the year and a half that we've been here. And I, I see it on so much of a deeper level with so many of you. We just need to get everybody in the mix. Amen? It says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Why did people know who Jesus represented? His love. It didn't matter who you were, what color you were, how jacked up physically you were, what side of the, what side of the uh, Jordan River you lived on. None of that stuff mattered to Christ. He loved unconditionally. We're getting there. We need to take a little higher. And it will be evident to everybody else who we represent, what we live for. Where we get our convictions from. Why we're men and women of integrity in the home, in the workplace, in public. Where we go. Multiply. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Why did Jesus put this out there? Why multiply? Yeah. God wants everybody to be saved. God wants everybody to have an opportunity to repent and change and make Jesus Lord of their lives. But, you know, I think it goes deeper than this as well. I think we need to multiply. Verse 20. There needs to be a multiplication process that takes place within the congregation. Teaching them to obey everything I commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Making sure that as we solve the need for unity with John 13, we take it to the next level with the way that we interact with each other. That we're truly trying to strengthen each other. Get us all to the point where we have a much deeper understanding of what Christ has done for us personally, so that degree of gratitude increases, so the ups and downs decrease. You know, we're not dealing with Matt Trench. You know, I think we've got about 50,000 feet between the two of them. I'd much rather be dealing with rolling hills, because I don't think I'm ever going to be on the flatlands, but yeah, it's probably a good thing, too. It makes it interesting. It makes it a little bit more exciting. Then the final one, number four, is to edify. You know, what does that mean? To instruct, strengthen, build up, improve. And I know for me personally, out of the four, this is probably the one I need the most. I need to continue to grow. I need to continue to get stronger in my love for Christ. I need to get... Stronger in my role as a husband, is my role as a father, in my outreach, all these different areas. And Peter really kind of sums it up here, and it's interesting. I came across, I went through about 20 translations as I was putting this together, including the Greek. And I came across this particular translation that really took this passage to a new level for me. And the New King James is the closest to the actual Greek. And I'll explain it as we go through it. It says, therefore, lay aside all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babies desire the pure milk. And in most of the translations you've got, it doesn't go any further than that, correct? The actual translation, a lot of commentaries kind of got off, in the, got off on this in that they use the word spiritual. 
Well, in the Greek, what this translates is what we see in this passage is newborn babies desire the pure milk of what? The word. And it took this passage to a whole other level for me in that let me go through it in its entirety and I'll talk about it. Therefore, lay aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. As newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you've tasted the Lord is gracious. Well, we've all tasted that. Amen? And I think looking at this passage, the thing that's so important here is that we need to... I mean, most of us have had babies, right? What happens when they get hungry? They make it very clear to you as to what they want. Right? That's how we need to be about what we see here in this passage when it comes to desiring the pure milk of the Word. Again, what is the Word? What does John say about John 1 say about the Word? The Word is Jesus. So this, and again, you know, maybe it's just me, but for me it's really important that I desire to be nourished by Christ. Knowing ultimately as milk is to a baby... Helps them grow, mature, strong bones and all that. Well, how much more so do we need to be nourished spiritually? So we have those strong bones spiritually, amen? And whatever Satan throws at us, we're able to deal with. So as a disciple, we have to desire with all of our heart the nourishment that comes from the Word of God. And in face of all the challenges, all the evil, all the different things that we see in this world that we deal with on a daily basis as disciples, this will strengthen our souls, and our life through the pure word, pure nourishment that comes through God's word, the Bible, Jesus Christ. By doing this, I guarantee you guys, we will all have so much on a heart level that's just going to be bubbling out and overflowing. We're not even going to recognize this congregation this time next year. Amen. God bless.